Welcome to Clement Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's Clement Tech Revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Berno, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Welcome to Clement Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's climate tech revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Berno, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Hey guys, today I'm receiving Pascal Bieri. He's the co-founder of Planted, a Zurich-based startup developing meat alternative. They produce alternative chicken, pulled pork, kebab, schnitzel and their products are available at restaurants and retailers across switzerland germany austria france italy and the uk six countries across europe in this episode we will go deep into the alternative meat space and whether startups will win that race against the food giants like nestle so we're glad to have one of the leading alternative meat startups in europe and it's going to be a very interesting conversation you don't want to miss out let's go pascal it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Nice to meet you, Sean. Uh, can you briefly describe Planted? Location, team size, business size, just right off the bat for people that don't know you. Yeah, of course. Um, we're a food tech startup out of Switzerland. Um, that's our home base uh, on, and our production here in, in near Zurich, Switzerland. We're a, a spinoff of ETH, which is a technical university mm -hmm. in, in, in Switzerland, a really good one. Um, and we focus on you know, solving the protein crisis or providing plant-based, clean, tasty proteins um, similar to meat, better than meat, um, to our consumers. Um, mm -hmm. We are active in six countries so far. We have teams in Germany, Austria, Italy, France, the UK, and uh, the main hub HQ is here in Switzerland. Switzerland. All right. So I want to kick it off with a spiky thought. Uh, and compare the alternative meat market in the US and Europe. In the US, for context, um, a lot of people are aware of a ton of IPOs, so Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods, Memphis Meat, mm -hmm. uh, already super successful, ginormous, signing deals with food chains like McDonald's, Burger Kings. Uh, essentially, as an investor, you had to invest in 2009, 2011, mm -hmm. and wait for 10 years. That ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. well, then we have Europe. Where are we today? Uh, are we already too late to the party? Hey, when you look at the protein sector, and I'm, I'm, I really want to count in 
any protein that you're eating. And it's way too many animal proteins that, that we as, as, as a humanity consume right now, right? Um, we're at the very, very beginning when it comes to a plant-based diversity of these, of these, you know, protein solutions to us as consumers. And I would argue um, that whether it's Europe or, or, or US, I, I, don't, I don't think any market is, is far enough or has gone mm -hmm. towards reaching typical meat consumers yet. Um, in most markets, we're talking to five to seven to eight to 9% of the population with the products that we're making right now, including the ones you mentioned before. Um, but really, we need to step up our game, making better products, cheaper products, uh, texturize um, the products that we're making in a, in a juicier, more natural, um, healthy way also to the consumer. Um, look at the price points that we have to reach because meat is super cheap. Um, it's also heavily uh -huh. subsidized, but that's a different topic. Um, and I would argue that we're, we have to be at the very beginning of um, how we provide protein to any consumer, whether that's in the U.S. or in Switzerland or in Europe. Sorry. So even though the U.S. has a big head start, the race is still on and uh, the big chunk of the, of the shift is ahead of us. It needs to be ahead of us. Look, I mean, um, you, you can come at it from different angles, right? You can come at it from the necessity angle of we have to feed more people on this planet. Um, people are living in more urban areas. There's a lot of uh, people, not in continents like the US or Europe, that will be adding a lot more meat on their um, on their plates. Uh, so the meat consumption worldwide is still rising. Um, and that has to come from somewhere. And the, the fact of the matter is that animals have a super inefficient way of transforming proteins into a texturized material um, that tastes fantastic, right? And we're super used mm -hmm. to eating it and we use it in so many different uh, applications, menus. Um, and that will, that yep. will increase. Um, but with the current, the current portfolio that's plant-based, uh, out there, yeah, you, you might solve the burger application a little bit, right? Um, we have a really good, um, solution for, for texturized chicken, pulled pork, smaller pieces like that. But, um, meat is super versatile and, and we need to find better than meat solutions um, plant-based and more sustainable. And, uh, we're, we're working on that with, with a, a huge and super talented, um, product development and science team, but uh -huh. we're really, uh, that's the focus is to create better meat than, than what animals do. Um, and obviously we're going to talk way in more, depth, way more efficient. Yeah, we're going to talk in depth. And I know that you, you've spoken before about all the applications of meat. Uh, we're going to come back to the, the product level. I just want to stay macro for, for a minute. Some basic stats, the Europe, um, the European meat substitute market is expected to grow to 3.5 billion euro by 2027, right? So it's an 8% annual growth rate. Mm -hmm. Yet the core question is who will get the lion's share of this growth? I can't help but think that startups or the mega retailers like Nestle, Cargill, the battle is on. And when I go to my local supermarket, it seems like the, the big retailers are kind of winning. Um, you, you mean big industry players? Um, is that what you're, what you're saying? 
They're one the of big food eight. yeah producers. There's certainly a way of, of looking at a shelf internationally and seeing the same products basically in, in anywhere, whether you you live in Copenhagen, right? Whether you do that in Denmark or you do Berlin, it in, yeah. uh, in, in, in Germany or Switzerland. Um, what we can see is that our, that our products are making a dent in net promoter score. So people that actually go into the category, try us, will come to the category again. Um, and this is a, uh, this is something we, we live by. If we would be negative, like a lot of the products are, I don't think we, we'd have a reason to, to still be out there. Um, we need to keep people in the category to try it. Right. And uh, right now, this is a bit of the problem of the category. It's, it's seen a huge rise also through the pandemic. And now I think people are getting more critical and that's that. That's where we come in. Saying, With the taste and the quality. Yeah, quality, price, huh? uh, taste, juiciness, um, the, the the range of applications uh, that you can cook with it. Because um, historically, when you use meat, you have you know you know exactly how to prepare it and how to cook it in in, in the menus that you're making. And some of the plant-based products just don't hold up in in a lot of these applications. They might be perfect on on a Caesar salad, but then that super unnatural flavor that a lot of these products are using is yeah. the crazy off note in, in a curry. And you don't want that as a consumer. So you're looking for alternatives and you're not going back to the category. What, what is the factor that drives success in alternative meat though? Is it really the taste or the look or is it more branding? Is it more production or even distribution? Hey, in food, I think it's uh, distribution, production, driving your own... Uh -huh. Um, metrics there and, and being kind of like in, in control of your of your destiny when it comes to producing and, and, and sourcing and uh, maybe also using different proteins to make a similar product, right? Um, having that kind of like playing field out there is important. Um, and then it, it must be taste. Um, that That's what okay. brings people in that back order. to... Well, for, for, for us as a startup, um, having our own production and being kind of like the, the driver of our own destiny there is important. Um, we, uh, we didn't make <laughs> our, our seed investors didn't like it when we, when we just decided to build this, this factory that that's behind me and that we're like making a thousand ton, a thousand kilos an hour now, um, started out with making 30 kilos an hour, you know, at, at ETH and. But we prove, we've proven that we can scale production up and become more efficient and drive cocks down. And, and having a, a very healthy um, gross margin is, is important as a startup, as, as you're growing yeah. up at speed. Yeah, so uh, Tesla is facing that, right? The main bottleneck was production. <laughs> you at your scale as well. Uh, but mm -hmm. how can you outperform the, if distribution and production is the bottleneck, how can you outperform the monster retailers that are going all in? Is it through more capital raise, you know, a ton of VC money or, um, or, you know, winning somehow the marketing race? I think it's a combination of best product. So having a solution that the retail partners that we're having, they know if they add planted to their offering and people choose it, they actually come back to that shelf and buy again. Um, and, and, and that's an important metric for us. So yes, it's product quality. It's, um, certainly, but then it's probably having 
the ability to keep innovating and make better products and 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 more efficient product and you know there's so many levels how how you can count sustainability and and the efficiency and having all these factors and you can you, you can you can drive all of them um should give us the winning angle and also maybe and that this is a bit broader now um, we're not just focusing on retail. Um, so yes, we're, we're a P2C company. We, we sell to, to retailers in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, Italy, and France, and, and the UK now. Um, but we also have a, a huge footprint in food service. So delivering to restaurants directly, to industry mm-hmm. partners, to people that make bowls, uh, sandwiches daily, um, or not daily. Um, any, anywhere where you use protein, really, um, we see a market. and. I think our food and service that, offering is almost more attractive than than, than retail. Interesting. Offerings. So that market alone, we certainly become a ginormous market, right? So if you stay niche in that service, restaurants, chefs, more high end, you you might tr- certainly get a big lion's share of that market. Um, is it really too early to tell, or is it already uh, your your direction? Um, we do about depends on the market, but it's between forty and fifty percent uh, of, of our revenue in, in food service. Switzerland's um, okay. a bit less, and in Germany it's a bit more. And um, yeah, you can just like that that playbook that we have, and by talking to a restaurant or a chain or a um, uh, a menu creator for, for example, a, a train company, right? Like uh, our, our planted chicken is in, in, in a wrap on the Deutsche Bahn. On, when you travel in, in on the board bistro, you can eat planted chicken either in a, in a, in a wrap or in, in a teriyaki bowl. And we don't make these bowls, right? But we had perfect solution, the protein, to go into that um, application in that case. Um, adds a lot of value to the to our partner Deutsche Bahn, but also to our co-manufacturer, if you will, or the industry partner that produces these menus. Yeah, and it's, uh, let's uh, double click on 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 your technical technological innovation. Tell us how it differentiates from all the other meat alternatives. There's a ton <laughs> out there. The catalog is getting deeper. Uh-huh. What makes Planted special? Um, we always from the very beginning. Um, we wanted to make great product, right? Um, we're, we're not hardcore vegans. Um, we don't hire based on your your eating um, habits. Um, but we wanted to make products that convinces us and would win people like, like, like us founders or our team over. And we tested a lot with chefs. We still do. Um, mm-hmm. Great restaurants like like Tim Rowe, for example, in in Berlin with with his two stars, he cooks daily with Planted or or historical venues like Fiegelmüller in Vienna, right? What that has our schnitzel next to the the, the, the piggy schnitzels that that they serve. <laughs> um, so getting getting that right, right? The 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 feedback and and get that back into product development. So making the best product for professionals then also leaves a very, very good product for for you and me, private consumers. Um, so yeah, I think that that angle is important um, and, and helps us get better every day. And um, I, I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe things have shifted, but you produce everything in a glass house production facility in Switzerland? Yeah, yeah that's right. That um, so w- when we decided, we, 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 we noticed that nobody can make 
the fiber textures that the way we created our technology at, at ETH and upscaled it. And when wow. we started sourcing for a factory um, with with a first race, um, we, we fell in love with this place here. Uh, it's, it's about 3,000 square meters, um, wow. a little outside of Zurich. And we wanted to produce a factory that people can visit. And then luckily the decision was made that we that we build a glass house around it, kind of like a grow, grow house, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like you would grow uh, vegetables um, yeah. to build a transparent factory. We have a bistro here now, a restaurant. You can come eat planted and see how we make the product at the same time. You can have a coffee. We have every night there's groups of, you know, from, from uh, companies or private events uh, happening here. Uh, people just visiting and, and getting They can make a meat on their, their own meat. <laughs> they can make their own marinade, um, yeah. Oh, that's great. So that's the first transparent meat production facility open to the public. Yeah, and uh, and maybe why we did it also, right? It's, it's, not, it's not just because we're not an animal slaughterer, because there's that saying, right? If all slaughterhouses had glass walls, there, uh, everybody would be a vegetarian. Yeah. I don't think everybody, but uh, I think most people would become vegetarian. That's right. Um, but we, we only use four natural ingredients to create um, our, our products. Uh, so only you know, protein from, from plant-based proteins, um, fibers, oil and water, basically. Uh, and then there's a high moisture extrusion process, a, um, a cooling dye that we're switching depending on the, on the products that we're making, um, short fermentation process. And that that's it. That's our product. And now um, we can see from our from our science team um, that you know prototypes are moving from science to product development, where we use uh, uh -huh. fungi tech, more fermentation, um, more bit more specialized or more deeper. That the know-how that we're building uh, goes now to an upscaling um, for certain bigger pieces that we're making. Um, and those are going to be our, our next products that, that we feel like are necessary to, in order to create a, a category that has a, a chance to kind of compete with all the animal parts out there. Yeah. And since you prompted me on the ingredients, so one of the, uh, the new generation of VCs are not just uh, looking at financial returns, they're looking at impact. And we're trying to keep founders and startups accountable on the CO2 reduction, but also the holistic impact uh, profile of a startup. So I, I wanted to get a reality check here. Um, you use uh, peas, you use flour, you use water. Uh, where, where do all those ingredients come from? Where uh, are they sourced? <laughs> we, we try to source as locally as possible. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the pea protein, we're, we're not getting out of Switzerland. Um, we're, we're getting it out of France, mostly Europe. Um, just as, as close as enough. possible. Local enough. Look. When you look at food, right? I mean, food is uh, most of the time a very local thing, and and we want to become more local. We want to produce where our consumers are. So the next fact, we, we won't um, feed the world out of this factory here in Switzerland, but yeah. we create technology here that then can be duplicated in other markets and, and be more local, right? And and we will need to adapt on our on our protein and fiber sourcing as well on the raw materials in general. Um, we, we have a huge database of raw materials that, you know, according to the end product and depending on the, um, the technology that we're using, you use different kind of raw materials from plants 
to to make the best product. And and uh, another question uh, regarding ingredients. I'm a vegetarian myself. I'm curious. I'm trying things out, and I, I find you know most uh, meat alternatives based out of soy, tofu, mm -hmm. zaitan, pea. Uh, is there what is the best substitute to hold up to all the food applications out there? I, I don't know if there's the one that's the best. There's no winner. Um, I in think... terms of nutritional profile, in terms of uh, locally sourced yeah. uh, impact profile, etc. I think it needs to be local. That that's that's important for for us and, and to have an impact, a positive impact on this planet, um, a sustainable one. Um, I think food needs to be able to grow locally. Um, pea is, is fantastic in that regard and gr grows in, in, in Central Europe and it's super healthy for our soil as well. Um, it brings all the um, amino acids that, that the essential amino acids that, that you need. Um, and so the protein richness is, is there with, um, with the pea that we're using. Um, for our pulled pork, for example, though, we are adding sunflower press cake that's that's out of a circular economy right it's it's used in sunflower uh, oil production the press cake is left behind and is or often used to feed animals now we're using that um and for our pulled pork we're also using oat protein um so when you start to mix different proteins together you can build even greater uh, amino acid profiles in in your protein and i think that's a very essential part of what we're making and, and, and under the whole umbrella of creating something better than meat, right? It can be yeah. um, healthier, tastier, um, and, and then just more better, better for you and your body too. And, and by the way, I invite, uh, I, I checked out your, your website and I like the transparency and the fact that you're trying to show uh, the, the, the videos of, of the production and the extraction mechanisms. So I invite you, I invite everyone listening to, to check it out. It's actually, you know, it helps uh, understand why the fake chicken looks like a fake chicken. Uh, we'll link everything in the show notes. People can Thank check you. it out. Yeah, that's cool. Super helpful. And another point of curiosity is the accuracy of the Nutri-Score. You know, I find that all the Garden Gourmet, so the Nestle brands and all the big retailers tend to, you know, uh, use the A to F Nutri-Score now, mm -hmm. which will be enforced throughout categories of products mm -hmm. in the EU. What do you think of this? Uh, does it really reflect the actual quality of ingredients or, uh, or just the absence of really bad, nasty stuff like saturated fat, colorants, artificial flavors? The Nutri-Score, yeah, there's, uh, there's one thing. Hey... You can you can play with the nutri score pretty pretty okay. badly right you can take a little bit of salt out so you're in a different category and you're getting a b that is all, that's a little green still right and i think it's often used for um can you can you greenwash towards a consumer maybe huh or, or make mm -hmm. it make it healthier than bit. it maybe is I, I wouldn't um personally shop because of a, a Nutri-Score label, but I guess it brings a certain transparency to the consumer. Yeah. Uh, we have it as well in, for, our, for our French packaging um, because there we feel like it, it is very established and yeah. very important to the consumer. We'll add it in more countries now. Um, so you are A-Score. <laughs> um, our, our chicken, um, the original one without a marinade, is, it's the A score. Our pulled pork has an A score. The kebab has a B because of the marinade, right? It depends on the salt and the schnitzel and fat as a, level. As a C? No, no, it's a B as well. <laughs> That's a B. 
I, I do pay attention to that, and I'm sure a lot of really? people do. Okay, interesting. It's just a psychological thing. It doesn't really say anything about the, the ingredients itself, right? Like a short natural ingredient list, which is super important to us. We would never use any flavors or any methyl cellulose okay. to, to, to create texture that others don't shy, shy, away, shy away from doing. Um, you can use all that stuff and still get a good Nutri-Score. So it doesn't really say anything about the quality of the ingredients. Uh, but I guess it says something about fat and salt content in that's regards right. to, to the calories that okay. you're taking. That's good to know. So it's uh, A-Score um, doesn't necessarily make it super healthy. You just say eliminate some really bad, nasty stuff. Yeah, it's not fat. It's, it's not super fat, for example, or not super okay. salty, right? Um, that, that's what it basically means. I would, I would invite you to look at the ingredient list of, of how a product is, sure. is made. There, like there you can see more of. of my, my granny would probably spend the time, but you know, <laughs> we're all busy individuals. Yeah. That's, right. that's where marketing um, comes in, right? That, that's where we need to say to the right. consumer, if you buy planted, you know you have natural ingredients. Um, and no, my co-founders will kill me if I say no chemistry, because obviously everything is chemistry, but we wouldn't add a chemically made in flavor into, into our products. Um, we believe in, in spices and oil, for example, for, for yeah. marinades. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the growth. You're preparing for a journey of growth. And we do receive a lot of unicorn founders on the show. And um, you're not at that stage yet, but you intend to be. You certainly have a room for growth. How do you prepare your company for growth? What is the structural shift that you've done, maybe internally, mm -hmm. hiring the right people or just uh, creating the right culture? What are you yeah. currently doing think, to prepare? I think it starts with culture. Um, we never yeah. made a, a secret out of our um, growth plans or aspiration or how we wanted to build a company that, that changes this, this world for good. Um, so. It starts at the very beginning with what kind of mission you set yourself out onto, right? And then we set out a company culture that is very clearly on on, on planted itself and not on egos. So uh, between us four founders, for example, we had a very divide and conquer kind of approach that I think the team took over pretty nicely. And of course, we got more specialized now, right? And we got people way better than us and our team. Um, that bring the same growth aspiration. And obviously you start to, to become more specialized in what you do, but it's, it's always having that accountability for what you do towards the team, towards the organization. Um, that to, to me, I feel like this is the most important part when you're on that growth journey. Like, do I do what's best for the company um, or do I do what's, what's best for me? That, that, that should okay. never be the, the winning argument, right? So you hire A players, people that are specialized and really good at what they do. And then you try to maintain an A layer culture, uh, yeah. which sometimes yeah. often comes with expectations and egos. Often, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it helps if, if the company's established a um, very planted first approach. Um, it should be about the company and not about yourself. And I, th I think we, we, we've done that quite nicely. Or the team has also done that quite nicely. But yeah, you're right. Obviously, people that join us uh, want to change the world and want to uh, drive their career in this, at the same time. So um, it, it's about having opportunities for for A players to, to advance their 
careers and, and that could be leadership yeah. that could be other markets that could be uh, maybe even a different topic um, so that that needs to be somehow fluid as, uh, as well right and I'm curious also to hear I've been an entrepreneur I've hired people and I'm surrounded by operators that are of uh, a lot of ideas on how to to instill the right hunger for growth mm-hmm. in their culture does it come to you by hiring, being there, done that talent, people that have been in there in that role and they can hit the ground running, or on the contrary, it's hiring more junior resources and mentoring them to scale. I think it's both, and probably depending on the market that you're in, um, depending on how well you're you're known and received. Um, I think in, in in Switzerland we were established quite fast and then the media there was a lot of attention right we were voted switzerland's number one startup last year i think there isn't um much more uh press and and coverage you could get honestly and then Mm -hmm. being in in that in that in that very public kind of field of um alternative proteins is, is another driver so i think it's easier for us for example to find great talent in Switzerland than it is in, in, in other markets. That is, is a fact. So and since um, the talent is cheap in Switzerland, <laughs> it <laughs> certainly, it certainly, it's not as expensive as you would think. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, 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 helps look, I mean, in the beginning, right. I mean, the, the eight players that join you take, take a, take a big hit on, yeah, as a, as a startup, you cannot hold up with what, big players are paying but i think right you can... credit suisse or, or ubs standards and <laughs> i don't um, think we hired too many guys from there but <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to ask you another thing that triggered my interest to the fact that you're a spin-off from the eth zurich mm-hmm. right for those that don't know uh, probably number one university in, in switzerland very high profile particularly for tech founders or engineers was that the secret of your success the early success was to leverage the eth brand um, we really much wanted to get that um, kind of spin-off logo and, 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 and credit on for, yeah. for us as a as a company. But um, and yes, it it, it 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 puts a lot of trust from the from the population into into us into into our technology. So it certainly helped. Um, but I think what helped us almost more is that we had access to to labs and. Uh, to to talent and we basically made the pilot plant into a production (laughs) for for the first early angel investors Uh, it probably helps as well yeah yeah for sure for sure um that's the specificity to to switzerland unfortunately i wish the model could be replicated you know in france and germany in the uk in the uk it's a bit of a different profile right oxford Oxford is is renowned as well. Um, Would you suggest that to other, especially technical founders, to attach themselves to an institution like that that provides um, all the resources, brand, labs, facilities? Uh, It was certainly the right approach for us. Um, It's it's a good one because you're not giving it away to a corporate, right? there's always a chance to hop on somebody's kind of like innovation center and then you're half corporate already or you're like uh, in, in, in their backyard a bit too much probably. 
So yeah, yeah I, I like that approach also because um, we were, yeah, we, we enjoyed a lot of liberty. Um, and and, and uh, like I said, we, we made the, the pilot plant to production for plant, um, obviously paid rent and everything, but still um, we couldn't have started that fast uh, if, if it wasn't for ETH. Yeah. So uh, Pascal, I wanted to jump into your rapid fire round. Are you ready? <laughs> you know the principle. Two options. You just give me your answer in a brief manner. So the first one is uh, VC-backed versus bootstrapped. What is your general go-to rule when it comes to the first two years of a business? You know, to grab as much um, upfront VC money or to try to keep the expenses low and bootstrap? I wouldn't say as much VC money as possible, but yeah, get get some external money uh, it's smart smart mm -hmm. one because um you'll learn from them i would say um but yeah the hey if you bootstrap do it in a smart way like uh yes it's good to not give away too much of the company at the very beginning but make sure you listen to somebody right just to, to somebody that has a little stake in, in in the game and i think vcs are sometimes a good reality check um to, to the business yeah model. my, my... I'm with you here. Um, my perspective, we could you know, write a book about this and it's probably been done. <laughs> um, my feeling is that you, you, if you're a first time entrepreneur, you definitely want to surround yourself with the brains, the people that have been there and, uh, and you want capital so you don't have to overly stress about the daily expenses. You know, the website hosting, the daily stuff that pollute your mind and take it away from your core focus. If you've been there, Meaning a second time entrepreneur, third time entrepreneur, you kind of know how to, to you know, cut the noise, mm -hmm. be super good at, at executing. You probably uh, want to take the, the, the bootstrap path because equity matters. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, second question is uh, founder versus an investor. What do you think personally uh, drives the most impact? So VCs that have a portfolio approach or more the entrepreneur that is super oh, impact on this planet, on the planet, on CO2 reduction and founders all day. <laughs> hey, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you, you drive your thing, right? Um, and, and sometimes maybe I, I would count VCs as almost founders, right? If, if it's their, if it's really their thing and they, um, they take the accountability for, for their fund, um, because it is an, an important aspect of what we do right you you need to allocate money um so yeah maybe as long as the vc has that kind of founder hat on okay and now getting acquired versus ipo what is the more likely scenario for planted <laughs> more likely i don't know uh, we, we, i don't we don't we don't specifically plan um for for an ipo or we don't specifically plan to acquired actually we, we plan not to get acquired so yeah um i think whatever's best for the um for, for the next capital round right um wherever makes most sense to get the capital from for for the growth it's probably not aspiring. what you tell your your investors <laughs> and last question is expansion versus inspiration how do you scale alternative meat globally beyond Western countries, particularly in barbecue land, right? So Brazil, Argentina, Australia. Do you think it will happen through scaling monopolies? So you have enormous conglomerates in Europe, in, in, in the US to scale. 
and and do enormous marketing spend so they convert the culture locally or do you think uh, it's going to happen through ins- inspiring more local players to, to copycat mm-hmm. create their own version of first i would say what, what you need i mean i i studied in buenos aires for a semester so i i lived lived in, uh, in, in a big barbecue country for for a while and, and did my did my fair share of that back then um <laughs> i think you need to have the, the product that speaks to that consumer um and it's it's not just steaks right i mean everything gets thrown on that barbecue but it's 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 never small little pieces it's always you know something that covers that that roast and so i think if you have that product right or a product range and i would say if you have the technology to make this product range right then either do it yourself or with a partner or you you leverage your technology that might be a different game then right um that's how you win over um such a such a consumer group or such a market um but if you'd say oh what has worked fantastically in switzerland we'll, we'll go with that to argentina yeah you probably haven't understood your your customer base yeah yeah so great um with that pascal we've run out of time so thanks so much for coming on the show thank you so much for having me this was fun and to yeah and to all the listeners we're doing this podcast for you and we would love to hear your feedback so uh, if you would like to hear um, more insights from more founders or investors drop us a comment on LinkedIn Twitter YouTube and sign up to the newsletter so we can exchange more directly until next time thanks for tuning in Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more by Clementum Capital, apply for funding or become an LP, visit clementum.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more by Clementum Capital, apply for funding or become an LP, visit clementum.com.